it's across the country in probably 12 different cities, about 500 people. And I would ask a question, how many of you have had a transformative performance evaluation in your career in any capacity? Hmm. And three people in the course of six weeks, 500 people, three people had had experience. From Washington, D.C., this is The Tightrope. I'm your host, Dan Smolin. In this second part of a two-part episode, we continue our conversation with corporate performance expert and experience shaper, Adrian Schock. She discusses her mission to turn the performance review at work into a transformative experience that empowers talent and management alike. She also offers listeners her insight to make the work that we do more meaningful and fun. We spoke with Adrian Schock in July 2018. So Adrian Schock, welcome to the tightrope. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. When I think about the dysfunction that happens in environments like you described, I think the keystone of that is usually the annual assessment or review of the talent who has the job. Mm-hmm. And to me, it always, it, when I experienced it many years ago and when my candidates experienced it, it was often described as I'd rather be in root canal mm-hmm. right now. It's so transactional and it feels like, okay, what do I need to do better? How do I scale more revenue? How do I improve the return on investment? How do I make this group that I'm managing more profitable? As opposed to, tell me what I did right. Tell me what you like about me. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to that? Mm-hmm. Sure. I spent a lot of time learning about this, thinking about this, and working with my clients on this. Performance management is tough, and people don't know how to do it. Not only do we not know how to receive feedback, in many cases, we don't know how to give it. And because we don't know how to do it, when we have to do it, we typically don't do it very well. And when we don't do something very well, there's an element of stress involved. And so that stress is not only affecting the giver of the feedback, so the manager, that is also affecting the person who's going to be receiving it. Now, when I was was looking at this issue and I studied this issue for a while, Mm -hmm. I did a, a survey, but this was a, not only was it an online survey, but it was also after training probably close to 500 people, 500 uh, director and above on performance management. What, what do we mean by this? What, is, what does it take? Mm. And before every single meeting, and I, I would probably, I was across the country in probably 12 different cities, about 500 people, and I would ask a question, how many of you have had a transformative performance evaluation in your career? in any capacity. Hmm. And three people in the course of six weeks, 500 people, three people had had experienced a transformative conversation. So that, that confirmed what I had already known. And when I look at how do we do this, what I find is that people wait to give feedback. They don't want to do it in the moment. Well, they don't know how to do it. They don't practice it. So if you don't give someone feedback in the moment in a way that's not um, action addressed, so it's like, you did this, why did you do that? Mm. As opposed to this action 
took place. Okay, you were going to be here at, we agreed that we'd start at seven and it's nine and you're showing up. Mm. Um, what's up with that? Mm. In that moment, as opposed to waiting until their performance evaluation when they say, okay, you were late on all of these days and we're gonna ding you. Um, so a couple of things, separating salary review from the performance evaluation that's based on smart objectives and then there should be a third conversation about development. Those three activities are typically combined in one conversation. The salary, the performance, and the development are usually one conversation. It will never work. And I think that speaks to why so many organizations are dumping the performance evaluation process in large organizations like Accenture, um, Jupiter. And I think that there's a lot of brain science that David Rock has been instrumental in saying these things diminish performance. Not only the performance of the person receiving feedback, but the manager. They are just not done well. They're not done right. Now, I'm sure it correlates, but I'm sure also that there's some causation between a bad performance review and then an uptick in sick days. Probably. And, that, and so you've now defeated the purpose of the performance review because you've now made that talent less effective and because they're sicker, they're costing you more money. Right, right. Well, and you know, in, in my work, I never really, I, I didn't look at the, the sickly, but we all know that if you don't feel supported, you don't feel respected, you don't feel connected, it's, it's why? What, I mean, yeah, you're going to get sick more often. Yeah, you're not going to want to show up to work. I mean, there are a lot of people who feel totally connected. Um, a total sense of contribution and they're showing up when they're sick. So I think the beginning of all of this is really looking at how do we partner and how do we connect with people in a way that we are free to give feedback. And there are a couple things about feedback in the moment. So I'm a big believer in after action reviews after every milestone, after every key deliverable, you do a check-in and that is how did we do? Did we do well? Did we not do well? And what, did, what do you want to see done differently next time? Yeah, it's all fresh. Right. And when are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Just three questions. That's all you need. My kids, um, my kids are in, have been involved in sports for years. And I have to say, after every game, I ask them, what did your coach ask you? What did he tell you or she tell you? And they're like, nothing. The game, what are you talking about? Nothing. So I drill it in their heads. What worked well? What do you want to see happen differently next time? How are you going to do it? And they have to come up with three things, three things that they just have to focus their attention on. Because not only do you need to look at that individually, so at, people need to do this for themselves, mm -hmm. but you have to look at, okay, not only, not only am I asking you this as an individual, let's now look at this at a team level, as a team. What do we do well? What do we want to do differently? What do we want to do how are we going to do that differently next time? That, those, the answers to those questions are different. But if the individuals who are not paying attention to them and the greater good of the team. I had a candidate once who complained about his performance reviews from a standpoint of pronouns. I go, what do you mean? He goes, it was always I and you and mm -hmm. not we. Right. Uh, that stuck with me. Yeah, yeah. Right, and the fact that in, in performance, it's the action. It's not the, it's not the person. Right. It's the action. And when we begin to talk about you, 
that will throw us into a threat response. And when we're in a threat response, we cannot hear what you're saying. Oh my goodness. We're hearing the conversation of, oh my gosh, I can't believe she's telling me this. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She didn't get that right. The, at the end of the day, when you study the brain, and I've studied the brain a lot for a long time, you're offline. Fight or flight. Yeah. So you're dealing, as you say, with threat responses. And the body can't handle a prolonged amount of cortisol running through it. Right. So you need to be resourcing yourself so you can stay in the conversation. All of these things that, that I'm working with, my, with teams and individuals is how do you stay resourced when you're getting hammered? Because you've got to keep yourself in the conversation. Right. Because eventually it's going to be you that's going to get the person you're with who's triggered back down to earth. Right. So it's not about John's a jerk or Mary's a jerk. It's their nervous system is completely playing out right now. And until I get their nervous system calmed down, I'm not going to get Mary or John to hear anything I'm saying. So when we look at that, it's not them, it's their nervous system. And what is my role in terms of resourcing myself and the person that I'm with in order to have a quality conversation? That becomes a very different process. So quality conversations, I think, are probably rooted in some positivity. Well, they're rooted in not being threatened. Right. You can't be threatened and be in a quality conversation. It, it, Right. We don't have access to the higher, we don't have access to empathy. Right. Now, if I'm, if we're in a difficult conversation and I can't really experience what you're seeing in a way that, you know, I can connect, it's going to be hard for us to create something together or solve something together. Um, it takes a lot to deal with somebody who's throwing a lot of negative energy at you and not stand back and say, why is he or she doing this? Right. What's happening in their experience that's causing them to be this way? Right. We don't do that. No. Well, and not only is it what, what are they talking about? What are they doing? There's also the other voice, the other narrator that's saying, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with me? Mm. Oh, my gosh, I'm not very good at this. I thought I was awesome. I have a warped sense of myself. I mean, th these narratives that go in our head when we are being threatened are loud and negative. I think some people call that gaslighting. <laughs> gaslighting? What is... Well, the idea, it comes from a movie that I think Ingrid Mer Bergman was in, where she felt like the lights, she felt like her brain was going kerfluey because the lights in the apartment were getting dim. It turns out that her husband or fiancé were actually making the, making the gas and the gaslight dimmer yeah. over time. So the term gaslighting gets applied when people feel like they're being told a story that's not true, but mm -hmm. they can't prove it. Right. And it's, that's right. very disabling. Well, that's bias. Mm -hmm. that's, that is our unconscious bias. I want to pivot to uh, your brand name, which is Five to One. Mm -hmm. And I want you to explain why you picked that and why it's significant. Sure. So Five to One is representative of the number of positive expressions to negative expressions that drive high performance. And it comes from the work of Dr. John Gottman. When I present and I do public speaking, it's always funny. I can, uh, when I bring up John Gottman, a lot of people who've gone through marriage counseling ha are familiar with him because mm. Gottman was able to, um, was studying couples and he was able to predict within a 90% accuracy, the likelihood of a couple uh, remaining married mm. or getting divorced after a 15 minute difficult conversation. And the number of 
um, positive to negative expressions, five to one, was the common denominator of these couples that were able were that were in long-standing marriages. And so that work was taken um, in the you know mid 2000s, 2005 or so, by some social psychologists who said, okay, hey, look, let's can we apply this to high-performing teams? Does mm -hmm. this is this an indicator? And absolutely, they and so Gottman. I mean, you can imagine to the, to date, this work has been going on for thirty five years. Mm. We're probably they probably checked out fifty thousand couples mm. between you know the early nineties and today. So this group looked at okay these 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 high performing teams or these teams in general to include board level teams, um, you know, project frontline teams just across the board, and they tied it to stock price, order intake, salaries, budget, all these things. And they found that absolutely 5.6 to 1 positive to negative expressions defined this high-performing team. And so that work is what has kind of spoken to me in terms of we need to change the way we speak to each other, whether or not it's a difficult conversation or not. In studying the brain and, and, and the nervous system, what, what is very clear is that in social media, in tweeting, in texts, in emails, we don't have access to context. There is no context. So what the brain does is it creates, when there's not enough information, we fill in the blanks. Mm -hmm. So typically, that's going to be, it's going to err to negative because we, um, we have a negativity bias. It, it keeps yeah. us alive. But the, the five to one is what we can do. So people say, well, what can we do? You know, be, people say, be mindful, be more present. Okay, yes, great. We can be mindful or present but what I found is people need more than that they need something that's very tactical that they can begin to implement immediately to their teams for to comfort as it relates to conversations that are difficult if I were to say okay look just track the number of positive to negative things that are coming out of your mouth in difficult conversation just get a little counter just check a box just put a little counter in the negative positive columns and just see what shows up what happens when you begin to pay attention, which requires presence, sure. is you can, you can determine the state of a nervous system that somebody's in based on the number of positive to negative expressions that are coming out of their mouth. So if I'm noticing that you're not saying, hi, Adrian, and, and, you, and I do this in, in email, so it doesn't matter if it's written or verbal. If you pay attention to that, you can get a sense of what state of being they're in and what is my job as an influencer? What do I need to do in order to influence this person? And so I'm, I'm going to change my language to ensure that I might be really pissed off or, or confused, yeah. but I'm not going to let go of that ratio. At work, we can't, we can't do anything else. The only thing we have is language. Mm -hmm. And that's where the 5 to 1 comes from. It's an easy ratio. It is mind-blowingly easy and powerful. And that's, that's the... That's the baseline. So I spent 20 years in recruiting, and now I'm not a recruiter. I'm liberated from that life. <laughs> loved it, loved it, but found a higher purpose for myself through this podcast and other things that I'm doing. One of the things that I learned as a recruiter is the process that hiring managers go through to find people for their teams. Can they do the job? Will they be excited doing the job? And here's the third one. Will we hate them? Mm. Now, that sounds tongue-in-cheek, but there's a certain essential truth to that. Mm -hmm. 
And why are we going to hate them? Because they're different from us. There's a certain tribalism in corporate America that we're trying to break now. And I think you're trying to do it through five to one. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of companies are trying to do it through how they hire people. Mm -hmm. It used to be, find me somebody who looks like this, mm -hmm. sounds like this, went to an Ivy League school, and the fit check comes in, how well they relate to us. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work. Right. You're right. And it perpetuates bad behavior and bad ideas and thought creep, and it doesn't allow businesses to differentiate their value propositions. Right. Well, and also, you know, I, I think it's very interesting that when it comes to hiring, well, I think the assessment, the world of assessments, pre-hire assessments are also feeding that. Mm -hmm. You know, do they look like us? I mean, that's a really interesting question. And do they fit into these norms? Mm -hmm. and, and what's... I find very interesting is extraordinary performance is always outside the norm. Oh, sure. So when we really look at, okay, we want people to look like this, we want them to uh, be credentialed a certain way by certain institutions, there is this delta of difference of, of, of ways of seeing the world that aren't like yours. I mean, there's so many, so many things that, um, that just blow my mind when we get when we look at group think we have i think as a society as a community we're becoming much more polarized mm -hmm. there's a lot more sorting that's done intentionally and when you do that you get a very very specific result and the experience operative word here experience is fraught with peril mm-hmm so let's talk about experience and let's talk about experience shaping. That's mm. something that you know about. What is experience shaping? So shaping is, um, is a term that it comes from neuroplasticity. So when we learn a new behavior, our brain is actually getting reshaped. Okay. When we learn something new, when we experience something different, these neuropathways get there's a lot of rewiring that happens, and these pathways are getting uh, reset. Now, to reshape a behavior, we need to experience it. We need to get used to it so that those connections begin to fire together. Mm -hmm. and, and the context of reshaping behavior, reshaping performance, is really about reshaping the brain, reshaping the nervous system, reshaping the way we're holding ourselves so that we can transform. So transformation is all about reshaping, and it's about reshaping holistically, the brain, the body, the mind, the perceptions, all of that. So as an experienced shaper, <laughs> and you go into an organization that's hired you, how might you extend your value to them so that they go from something that's not working to something that's holistic mm -hmm. or cooperative or regenerative. Can you speak to that? Sure. So there, there are a couple of things that I, I bring to the table as a baseline. And that is language, the way we're communicating with each other. So we're going to look at how can we adapt new speaking, languaging skill. So it's five to one. We need to learn how to listen differently. So there are four levels of listening that we have to listen to connect. Because if, you, if we're not connecting, I can't influence you. We have to connect with someone in order to influence them in a meaningful way, in a powerful way. 
the lot the third dimension of that so we've got the listening we've got the language is the way we're using our body and i know that when we're using our phones today when we're on our laptops the physical posture that we're taking is a defensive posture and that puts our brain into a threat response so the internally rotated shoulders the heart space is concave mm -hmm. the chin is tilted down that is basically sending a message to the brain that i'm in trouble we're we're hunkering down we're we're getting smaller and it's forcing the blood back to the core probably yeah. Right? well yeah it's, it's, it's the biophysiology is completely changing yeah. so when we're in that posture all day because we are yeah we're we're starting off at a disadvantage so we talk about the impact of the body how we're holding ourselves we talk about before meaningful conversations or sales calls or leadership meetings how are you presencing yourself so if you think about actors and actresses on the side of a, 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 the stage before their performance, they're not tweeting, they're not, they're not checking their texts, they are visualizing they're getting grounded. And if you're checking your, your, your texts and tweeting and so on before you're going into a, an important conversation, you're not gonna have the capacity that you need in order to very quickly assess what kind of state is their nervous system in, what kind of state is my nervous system in, and how am I going to resource myself and them in order to get to a quality conversation as quickly as possible? So that's the beginning, just that. And then from there, it's if it's a consulting engagement, we work on the consulting. But if it's just a training, that's the training. And do you find resistance to that? I, re I find great surprise. Um, how so? So uh, the, first, the first time I worked with a, a group of... Um, window salespeople mm -hmm. and it was a it was um, a, a, an industry that i was not familiar with it was a demographic that i was not familiar with and i i definitely was hesitant that i mean the folks in the room were very good at what they did they were very much into the routine that you know the skills and behaviors that got them to where they are today are what they need mm -hmm. and here's this person bringing in what the body, the brain, what is this foo-foo stuff? And I thought, oh my gosh, I gotta just open my mind to the possibility that these guys, and they were all men, are just gonna say, see ya. And this was the most extraordinary um, training that I had ever done. Mm. They were so blown away by this, this, this work. And when we were doing the role plays, they, they, want, they decided, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna five to one our scripts. Because a lot of the, the work that they, they do in sourcing work is scripted. And right. they needed to identify where in these conversations the buyer is going to get triggered so that they can be sure to really load up the five to one in these parts of the, of the script where they anticipate stress, tension, pushback. And it was, it was just amazing. They just were great. And how did it affect their measures? Oh, my. So the guy who, one of the, the most... Um, open and supportive people to this new way of, of working went from and in, in the country. So this was just the region of the Mid-Atlantic. So he went from, I don't, I don't know exactly what he was, but he went to like the number two salesperson in the country. And he he's given testimonials. He's just, he was just amazing. I mean, it's, it's, quite, it's quite powerful when you just look at how can I connect with somebody? And the only way we can do it is language. And when you get that, 
and you and it's not hard it's it's practice it's you don't have to do anything differently but if you take on five to one you'll have very different conversations it's interesting that you had this in a sales environment mm. because young salespeople who aren't experienced or aren't natural at it. Some people get into sales mm -hmm. and they're not stone cold killers. They're not hunters. They're right. not uh, dragon slayers as we used to call them in recruiting. And the really good salespeople aren't selling. They're offering experience. Mm -hmm. They're offering a, a different narrative. Yeah. And it's really interesting. They're often very, very good storytellers. My dad was in sales all his career. He was an amazing storyteller. We all love stories. Yeah. That kind of calms us down. We were hearing, tell me a story. As opposed to, I think you need to buy this thing. And now it gets all oppositional. And the, right. and the, and the homeowner's like this. And he's folding his arms. And he's like, well, I don't know. I, you know, I'll think about it. Right. Think about it. It's a terrible thing to say to somebody who's in sales. Because you know you're never going to see him again. Well, and notice how you just started the sentence. I, I need to sell this. And I think that when we are stepping into a conversation with that pronoun, as you had mentioned earlier, yeah. you know, these pronouns, you know, if it's not about the we, you're going to get a, you're going to show up differently. You're going to show up differently. I would imagine a really good salesperson in replacement windows is going to say, tell me what summers are like in this room <laughs> or winters. Yeah. I mean, this is about empathetic. You're cranking the air conditioning a lot. This, you is, know? this is this is empathetic yeah. empathetic buying. Yes. We we the, the selling process can be very very adversarial, but when we bring empathy into the equation and empathetic buying, what is it like to buy in this in in, in the in the times of financial hardship? Yeah. What is it like to be cold when your windows are leaking, for example? Or what is it like? to be, you know, so overwhelmed with the stress of life that, you know, it's hard for me to make a quality decision or I've, I've got too many choices. Mm. I am overwhelmed. Mm. What's that like? How can I help this person right. get to a place of clarity so that they can be influenced, so that they can see things differently? It may be they made that sale because you listened to them. As you said before, you heard what I had to say and you processed it and you came up with a solution. Right. Well, there are three things. They have to feel safe respected and connected. I mean, Amanda Blake, she just wrote this book, uh, just came out a few weeks ago, um, Your Brain Is Your Body, or Your Body Is Your Brain. She, she's the one who talks about the, the connection and respect and safety. Those are nutrients. Those are basic nutrients that we as human beings need to experience in order to show up. This has been a really interesting episode, and I want to ask you one last question. As somebody who has had an amazing career project, uh, progression, mm. what advice could you give to somebody listening to this podcast who's maybe struggling, maybe with a fund deficit? You had you you had this fun narrative in your in your growing up, and maybe they're in a job that's not fun. It's mm -hmm. not fulfilling. It's meaningless. Mm -hmm. From your frame of reference, from your frame of experience, what kinds of a, pearls of wisdom might you offer to somebody that they can do to start adjusting that experience set to something that's positive, profound, fun, meaningful? Right. right. So that, again, a great question. And, um, and there's no one way to look at changing 
course or just pivoting even more gently. I always say, pay attention to what you pay attention to. When you start to notice what you pay attention to and you ask yourself, why am I paying attention to that? You begin to see things. You begin to see things that make sense. Ah, this makes sense. Maybe this makes more sense than what I'm doing now. Or, we, or you can, you'll start to notice, wow, this doesn't make sense at all. Why am I doing this? So the first thing is always pay attention to what you're paying attention to. Mm -hmm. Trust your body. Trust mm -hmm. your instincts. When we aren't happy, when we're not in engaged, when we're not fulfilled, and we're not really sure if it's our imagination or not, we need to check that. We need to check in with that, that, that experience of doubt, and to just ask ourselves, okay, how do I feel about that? Where do I feel about that? When I think about it, my sh I can feel it in my shoulders, my head, what, what have you. When people are unhappy, they begin to experience physical stress in very different ways. Mm -hmm. And that stress is information, it's data. Mm -hmm. So the question is, what is it telling me, and what do I need to do with it? But, but again, you know, opening up, I mean, changing jobs is very difficult because people have responsibilities, people have mortgages, they have right. children, they have ailing parents. You know, we need to be responsible. And at the same time, I am a very strong believer in the universe. You know, yeah. some people will say it's a God, it's spirit, religion, whatever. I believe that there are incredible forces that are on our side if we just stop fighting them. Very if we let it go, if we look for the positive, if we look for the fun, we look for the good energy, that stuff shows up. But you got to pay attention to it. You got to pay attention to what you're paying attention to. If somebody wanted to learn about you, Adrian Shock, how would they do that? So um, they can check me out on my LinkedIn page. They can look at 5to1consulting.com. I do public speaking from time to time. So that stuff's on my, my website. And... Um, and yeah, or people can just, you know, email me and send me an email at adrian at 521.com, 521consulting.com. Well, thank you for being on the tightrope today. Thank you so much. Thanks again to our guest, performance expert and experience shaper, Adrian Schock, for walking the tightrope with us. Links to her website and other resources are available on our website at dansmullen.com. Check out our past episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts by keywording The Tightrope with Dan Smolin. And if you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and post your comments like Modulated Canine Chaser, who writes, The Tightrope is very well executed and interesting to listen to. And listener Avalon CT, who writes to say, I enjoy this podcast. Well, thank you. Don't forget to subscribe to our mailing list. And please suggest topics that you believe we should tackle in future episodes by writing us at info at dansmolin.com. From Washington, D.C., this is The Tightrope. I'm Dan Smolin. And do remember this, our best days lie ahead. Have a great and successful week, everyone. <laughs>